Uh, open to First John, please. Again, we're thrilled that you're here. We really want you to be part of our family. Um, I love what JP said about needing each other and encouraging each other. Where's Jason? Can you hear me back there? Oh, he's coming up here. Can you hear me in the back, Brett? What? Shut up, Benji. Is he joking? Mark, is he joking? Clean your the wax out of your ears, man. All right. I always get nervous when I talk into microphones, but well, we are really excited you're here. Uh, we're starting a brand new series. Is that better, Benj? Great. We're starting a brand new series on the book of First John. Raise your hand if you've read the book of First John. That's great. It rocks. It's an excellent, excellent book. Uh, I'm learning to love it more and more. Uh, today we're going to do two things. One, we're going to introduce the book. But two, then we're going to start learning about the first four verses. The great thing about First John, well, I'll tell you more about it, but the great thing about First John is, is if there's a book lately that I've read of the Bible, this one really hits me as, man, we need this. You'll see what we're... Uh, starting to kind of title this. Now, we want to mention this title is still open for debate. Danger, if you know Dan Akins, he doesn't like just real joy. He doesn't think it's flashy enough. So you may see this, cha- this change. But the, the big theme of 1 John that we're really going to focus on is this concept of authentic joy, real joy, genuine joy. And I get excited any time that I can see Scripture say, hey, obey, obey, obey. Why? because it's going to bring you a ton of real joy. So I'm very, very excited about that, and we're going to learn this in 1 John. A um, couple of things before we start. One, JP mentioned that, that we need you to be a part of the family. Uh, I'm going to say something about this series, is that we need you to be here so that our discussion later on can follow up, but also I really believe that you need to be here for each one of these times. It's a book. We're going to go systematically from the beginning of it all through the end of it. And if you miss, you're going to miss a chunk of teaching that is going to impact what you're going to learn later. So, I'm saying this out loud partly for us, but, but the leadership is committing to taping each, each message and having that available. Uh, what will be CDs? Is that kind of the... On CDs, so that if you do miss, seriously, make it a priority to get that, listen to it. Uh, it'd only be about three and a half hours for each message. No, I'm just kidding. JP said I could go to one, but I won't. Thanks, still, JP. It won't be long, but listen to it. Learn from it. And we're going to pick up a ton, a ton of stuff. And what's it going to be for? It's going to be to give you real joy in your life through obeying and following our Savior. What's better than that? What's better than that? So as we start First John, uh, first of all, I want you to think about the days that we live in. I'm not thinking of the days that we live on uh, of people across the street. Think of your life. What are you dealing with these days? What comes to you? There's a lot of fear, isn't there? We live in fear. There's guilt. A friend of mine and I were talking about guilt and sometimes it just seems like guilt can grab us so hard it makes us not want to go on or if we've stepped away from the Lord, guilt can just be so heavy that it makes us feel like we can't step back to walk with Him. Guilt is huge and maybe you're dealing with it. Discouragement. Have you gotten discouraged lately? Have you had any anxiety? 
any anxiety, uh, worry pops into the heart instantly these days. When you think of all that's out there to hurt your kids or to hurt you, it just seems like it's impossible not to worry. It's not true. But anxiety is huge. Bitterness. A lot of us carry around a lot of bitterness, don't we? Stress. Anybody stressed? Raise your hand if you're stressed. Oh, we've got a pretty laid-back group. Got a couple, okay. Well, those, anybody who's students, hopefully in about a week you'll be more stressed. Am I right, Scott? Or Maybe, maybe. Weariness. Anybody weary? Anybody weary? I've been getting weary. Beth's weary. She's a hard worker. Ask her why she's weary. <laughs> Discontentment. Discontentment. Um, man, everywhere we turn, it's hard to be... Benj, don't raise your hand for that one. That one's an embarrassing one. Everywhere we turn... Uh, not only we struggle with discontentment, but look at the world around us. We're never satisfied. We're never fulfilled. We're always hungry for something different. Jealousy, envy, anger. So many different things that we're dealing with, that the world around us is dealing with. And the bottom line is that we want relief. We want joy. And the world wants joy. That's why they're searching for it in any kind of way they can. Um, materialism. Why do you think we struggle so much with materialism? Why do you think people buy and buy and buy and buy? Because they want to find joy. They want to find something that will cover up the discouragement, the stress, the bitterness. Take your mind off it. And if I buy the new Hummer, and if I buy the bigger house, and if I buy this and this and this, maybe I'll have that joy. Success. If I climb that ladder and I am the best in my job and in my field and I'm the top dog, then I'll have joy. Maybe it's legalism. If I can come up with a certain set of rules and, and we can follow this certain set, who cares what God really says, but if we can follow this certain set of rules and keep these rules, then hey, we'll have arrived. And that's going to give us joy. <coughs> relationships. People are hungry for relationships. Why? Because, I'm convinced, because we think that, that each other will fulfill our joy and that that if I find the right person, that it will really make me truly joyful and happy. And if I can um, you know, have good friends and, and really care about what they think of me, then, then I'll be happy. But if you notice something, alcohol, there's others, there's others that people are really searching to get a, a relief from all the garbage and find some real joy. But when you think about these things in the yellow, you know and I know they just seem to constantly disappoint us. People let us down like crazy. Have you noticed that? seems like loyalty is, is going by the wayside. People will stab you in the back. People will hurt you. Success just brings more stress so many times. Materialism, how much is enough? Just a little bit more, right? None of these things will satisfy. So when we're talking about joy, we don't need just cover-up. We don't need temporary joy. We need this real joy. And let me just get, encourage you and get excited by the fact that God, the author, the uh, finisher, the creator, is offering you joy. And as we go through 1 John verse by verse, know that there is a chance here for you to have true, real, genuine joy. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be exciting. And I'd encourage you to get excited along with us. Uh, what a real joy. First of all, let's talk about this book as a whole. First John, this is great. The reason I know this book is so much about joy is because the first verse tells us right off the bat what the purpose of First John is. I write these things to you that your joy may be full. 
Aaron, why do you write these things to us? So that your joy may be full. The purpose of the book, the reason he's writing, is so that Brooke can have full joy. So that Stan can have full joy. So that we can have this real full joy. A whole book of the Bible inspired by God Himself so that you can have joy. I hope that excites you. That excites me. Who wrote it? Well, the Apostle John wrote it. There's very little argument about this. The Apostle John wrote it. He's the same author of the Gospel of John. If you've read, Raise your hand if you've read the Gospel of John. We heard some from uh, this morning, some from the Gospel of John. But John, when he writes, he writes in a very loving way. And we'll see more of that. Let me show you why John wrote the book, the Gospel of John. Uh, John 20:31 says, "These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in His name." The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John. The Apostle John wrote First John. The purpose of John, the, the Gospel of John, was to teach you that Jesus can give you life that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The purpose of 1 John was, why did he write it, Aaron? So that your joy may be full. I'm going to suggest you right off the bat here that the same author, writing two different books with different purposes, those purposes are directly connected. And let me just tell you right off the bat that if you're looking for full joy, we're going to see all through, but the common thread is going to be that Jesus Christ offers full joy and that your relationship with Christ can provide full joy in your life. And this is a common theme. It's important to understand that connection. It's important to see that right out of the gates. What else do we need to know about 1 John? Well, the purpose, I write these to you that your joy may be full. These things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And again, the two are connected. The two are connected. Take that to the bank. Jesus offers this full joy. Setting. When, where, why, how, right? When was this written? Well, the time I didn't find particularly impacting. Other than the setting, though, this is written to followers of Jesus. This is written to people who have claimed to know Jesus as their Savior. Um, but they're struggling. They're struggling with Gnosticism. I've known Gnosticism now for, oh man, year, no, two weeks I've known what this word means. But let me kind of describe to you what it's talking about. What is Gnosticism? Well, I can't go into it deeply, but through talking to my grandpa and reading some, some books, uh, basically there were two things that really stuck out to me. Gnostics said that knowledge is more important than virtue. Virtue, what do I mean by virtue? Ethics, uh, morals, living a virtuous life, a pure life obeying Scripture, not sinning. Ah, that doesn't matter. Knowledge is more important. That's what Gnostics would say. Do we deal with that at all today? Man, it seems like this is at an all-time high. It doesn't matter what you do. It's all about what you know. Uh, even in Christians, have you noticed that a lot of us like to sit and discuss theology? But then we turn around and we'll, we'll struggle in this sin and that sin. My brother-in-law, Kyle Clarkson, or Carl Claxon, as some know him, um, he was, did an article in a magazine and they called him Carl Claxon, so that's what I call him. But he, he shared something profound with me. He's been reading this book about a pastor of a church who got so sick of the men in his church talking this great talk 
talking about all these deep theological things and then they go home and willingly stumble and suffer with pornography and, and impurity and all this garbage. And finally, he got so frustrated that he sat him down and he said, hey, knock it off. We're pretending here. You can't love knowledge and forget about following uh, virtue. Gnostics would say that. As long as you can talk a good talk and know all this stuff, it doesn't matter how you live. Well, these people were being fed this, this garbage, really. And so John is writing to a, a group of believers that is struggling with being filled with this information that doesn't matter what you do, it's just what you know. And again, I think that relates totally to, to us today. Maybe that relates to your life. I can see it in my life. And he's, he's going to show us how this has got to be cleared out of the way. The other big thing about Gnosticism is it says that Jesus isn't enough. And this is something I learned from Grandpa from it. There was all these things that they added up, added on. First of all, they said that, well, Christ really wasn't God. And, and, and then they said that, okay, Christ, the incarnation is impossible and, and Jesus isn't really enough. And that's not true. That is not true. And so this book directly attacks that. That Jesus is not only enough, He is all that is needed. He is the source of this real joy. So understand that these Christians weren't a lot different from us. They were being filled with all kinds of garbage from the outside world also. That knowledge is all, it's, it's all about knowing this and knowing that. And Jesus isn't enough. So add extra rules. Add extra uh, things to do. Put your trust in other things besides Christ. Doesn't cut it. I love this point. Style. How is 1 John written? 1 John is written with affection and love. The Apostle John loved these people that he was writing to. He calls them his little children. This isn't demeaning, this isn't condescending, uh, but Paul or John as an apostle had kind of a loving fatherly role for these believers. And it's written from the heart. It's written from the heart. It's not a strict, empty, cold writing. It's a loving, affectionate message. And my prayer is, is that you'll feel that same message from God as we go through this book. It's a loving, affectionate message. Uh, it's intimate. It's deep. It's written in simple, straightforward language. You've got to love that. In a world of jargon and special terms and fancy talk, even in our churches, right? We can get real spiritual and talk fancy. First John's written simply and straightforward. Eric can appreciate that. He's smiling back there. And I can too. But don't be fooled. doesn't mean that this is milky. doesn't mean it's easy. just means it's easy to understand, hard to do. And so one of the huge challenges that you'll have ahead of you as we look at 1 John is, man, we've got to be willing to do this stuff. We've got to be willing to obey Scripture. We've got to be willing to change and be changed by the Holy Spirit so that this kind of joy will be found in your life. And if we're unwilling to do that, we're in big trouble. Because if we're unwilling to follow the straightforward, simple talk of how to have real joy, then we're wasting our time. So, in light of that, before we go any further, let's pause for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to touch your heart and to touch my heart. Maybe to soften it a little if it needs to be soft. Maybe just to help us understand and grab a hold and see clearly how to change. Father, thank you so much. Uh, for the relationship that we can have with You. Thank You so much for Jesus Christ. And Lord, we beg You, please, to teach us from Your Word. Uh, we beg You to teach us how to have full joy. 
We need to be obedient. We need you to change our hearts and change our actions. We rely on, excuse, we rely on you to do it. And we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So let's get into it. Open your Bibles again if they're not already open. First John, we're going to read the first four verses. That's all. Four verses. But they are stuffed with meaning and stuffed with teaching that will help us learn about this full joy. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. We're going to go through this verse by verse and something I'm trying to really learn to do is when I'm studying Scripture, let's not just breeze through and jump right away to, to uh, uh, evident or totally clear application. Let's really learn what is being said here. Let's understand the meaning of this. Straightforward language, but man, it's got a ton of meaning. And I think, I really believe that this meaning is going to get you excited. It's going to get you enthused about this joy that we can have. So keep your Bible open because I'm going to be talking about little parts. We're going to go through it and talk about little parts of each verse. But in those little parts, there's tons of meaning. So keep your Bible open so that you can kind of see the big picture as we go. First of all, in verse 1, we see something that's really, really important. Uh, verse 1, I think, John is saying, here's the real deal. You want the straight talk? You want the 411? Here it is. Right up front. This is something you can buy into. This is real. He starts with a little phrase, that which was from the beginning. Seemingly just a once upon a time casual opening, right? But it's not. Already it's chock full of truth. That which is from the beginning. Here's the real deal. The verb was... Where's Scott? I'm afraid Scott's going to correct my Greek here and Matthew if I go wrong. But I read this, so I think it's right. The verb for was... Uh, is talking about was already in existence. Was already in existence. So it says that which was already in existence from the beginning. We're not talking about just a path, passing thing here. And I'm going to give you a clue. Who existed before the beginning? God did. God did. God was the only one who's existed before time began. And John 1.1 1, 1, Again, a different book, same thought, tells us who we're being introduced here. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, once again, we don't get a straight name, but if we go on to read and we go on to learn, we know that this is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that same one that the Gnostics of the time were saying isn't good enough, isn't cutting it, isn't right... This Jesus Christ we're talking about is eternal. He existed before time even began. He'll exist way beyond the, the ending of the... He'll exist for eternity. And John starts out with a powerful phrase to remind you, you are dealing with the eternal God of the universe. He is eternal. 
As a side note, what does that mean? That means that everything that Jesus promises, how long will that promise last? Forever. Forever. Right off the bat, we see a clear message that the stuff you learn here about this Jesus, the joy that's offered, is not a passing joy. It's an eternal promise, not temporary. I think that's huge. Don't forget who we're dealing with here, friends. Don't forget that Jesus Christ is the eternal God who existed eternity past and will exist in eternity future. That's an important concept. What else does he say? Well, the next line he says, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, which we have heard. Pretty clear what he's saying. John heard what Christ was saying firsthand, didn't he? The Apostle John followed Jesus around for at least, what, three years? And how many different times did he hear Jesus talking and preaching and saying this is where it's at? So John is saying, hey, we're getting this straight from the mouth of the source, straight from the source's mouth. But look at that next line. He says, which we have seen with our eyes. We've seen Jesus with our eyes. And then he says, which we have looked upon. Well, hello, John. You're saying the same thing twice here, aren't you? I mean, we know if you say you've seen him, you don't have to say, okay, we've also looked upon him. Hello, we know that. But there's two different thoughts here. And we've got to grab them. We have to understand them. What does he mean when he says, which we have seen with our eyes? Well, there's something really deep here. The concept is that for the first time with Jesus, eternal God has come down for us to see. Eternal God has, been, has come down. That doesn't make as much sense. But the concept is right. Eternal God has come down for us to see. John 1, verse 14, puts it very, very well. It says, And the Word, remember the Word is Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When John is saying that we've seen with our eyes, you know what we've seen for the first time? We've seen God's glory. Now, Eric was talking about other times way back when when the mountains were shaken and the, the earth, uh, the lightning was flashing. But even there, that was, that was only a little glimpse of God's glory. And as Eric said, real confusing in a lot of ways, wasn't it? Finally, for the first time, God makes no mistake. There's no confusion. He says, here is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. And it's a way for us to finally see God's glory. To finally get a, 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 even a more in-depth peek into who God is because we can see Him day by day. And John says that this is the real deal. This is God in the flesh. That we can finally see and learn what God is all about. It's exciting. God not only reached down. You hear that phrase? God reached down. God not only reached down, He came down. And you know the story, but Jesus Christ, fully God, became man, became a little baby. Why? So that He could reach you, so that He could connect with you, so that for the first time you could see what God is really all about. This is exciting stuff. We've seen with our eyes. How we deal with Jesus 
is how we deal with God Almighty. Don't forget who God Almighty is. Isaiah 40, verse 12. I love this verse. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Do you realize who we're dealing with here? What does this mean? Hold the waters. All the waters of the earth, Isaiah 40 says, are, are held in the palm of God's hand so that they can go like this and it doesn't spill over. All of the stars, the billions of stars, God can put up His fingers like this, a span. He can put up and He can measure it. He is huge. He is awesome. He is almighty. The chairs you're sitting on, your bodies, the, the carpet, the walls, the atoms, and all this stuff. He made it. He holds it together. The people that you relate with, the job that you go to, it all comes back to the Creator. He is the sustainer. He is the controller. Nothing happens in your life that is outside of His watch and His control. Don't forget who we're dealing with here. This is the authority. This is the highest, highest being. And how you deal, deal with Jesus is how we deal with Almighty God. Do we dare spit in the face of Almighty God the one who holds the waters in the earth like this? Well, plenty did, didn't they? When they spit in the face of Jesus, God's Son. How you deal with Jesus is how we deal with eternal, almighty God. When we obey or disobey, we're dealing with God Himself. What's the next line? So the first line, which we have seen with our eyes for the first time, God in the flesh. Now we can see what He's all about. The second line, which we have looked upon, Okay, that's not just redundant. That's getting again to this. We've seen him with our own eyes. Second uh, Peter 1.16 is another good example of this. Peter, another apostle, says something similar. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Again, this is huge to those people dealing with the Gnostics because remember they were questioning who Christ is? Okay. There's all kinds of fables. I could tell you a story about Paul Bunyan. For years I thought Paul Bunyan was real. He's not, JP. He's not. But I thought he was. There's all kinds of fables. There's all kinds of stories. But Jesus is not just a fable. Jesus is the real deal. And John tells the readers, you included, hey, this is the real deal. We've seen him. He is not some mythical creature. He is God in the flesh and he's real. Our hands have handled, see that? We, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. What's this all about? Well, just another example that Jesus is real. He's not some legend. Luke 24, 36-43 says, Now as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is a clear message to the readers of 1 John. Once again, I've touched him. I've seen him in the flesh. 
Thomas, if Thomas was putting his two cents worth, uh, another disciple of Jesus could say, I put, his hand, I put my finger in the very hole in his hands where the nail was driven. I took my hand and I put it into his side. That's how real he is. That's how up close and personal I saw him. And when we evaluate anything, we evaluate it based on eyewitnesses, don't we? We evaluate it based on people who know because they've seen. Not, I heard, but I've seen him. I've touched him. He's real. He's real. I think sometimes that we act as if Jesus is, is not real. And I think a lot of times it, it makes us think that we're off the hook because then we don't really have to obey Him. Jesus is real. Here's the next line. We've handled concerning the Word of life. There's that title again. Remember John 1 where the Word became flesh? Why is Jesus called the Word? Well, again, this is very exciting. John 1 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we saw His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There's something very, very significant here. Why is Christ called the Word? Well, listen to someone who explains it far better than, than I can. Why does Jesus Christ have this name, the Word? Because Christ is to us what our words are to others. Our words reveal to others just what we think and how we feel. Christ reveals to us the mind and heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and men. To know Jesus Christ is to know God. If a man is wrong about Jesus Christ, he is wrong about God because Jesus Christ is the final and complete Revelation of God to man. I want you to think of this in terms of, of the privilege of who we get to know here. I know a lot of people feel a lot of different things about world leaders and um, even people of fame and whatnot. But when it comes down to us, I think all of us want to know people who are important. All of us would love to meet people who have power or who have some sort of fame or who have some sort of affluence. Again, another reminder, who are we getting to meet this morning? Jesus Christ, God Almighty. And what you see about Jesus is what you're learning and seeing about the God of the universe. Is that cool or what? You can know the God of the universe. You know Him not only distantly, but you can know Him personally. And that's what this book is all about. It's about knowing Christ and finding fullness of joy in that relationship. So verse 1, we've already seen how many different things. Get a hold of it. This is from this is the eternal God Jesus we're talking about. We've heard Him. We've seen Him with our eyes. Finally, we can see God in the flesh. We know what God's all about. We've looked upon Him. He's real. He's not some legend. He's not some myth. He's in the flesh. We've even touched Him. That's how real He is. And we've, we know these things concerning the Word of life. Finally, we can learn of who God is. Because Jesus, the Word, the communication of who God is, is here. Is that exciting or what? John is serious about this. This is the real deal. Next, he talks about the life. The life. Now, John is again talking about Jesus, but he's not talking about the life of Jesus. He's calling Jesus the life. The life. John 1.4 says, In Him, this is Jesus again, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
Big concept here. Christ is life. You've heard this phrase that this is uh, sport, football is life, work is life, Christ is life. And if you can sum up what your entire existence is designed for, it's for knowing Christ and obeying Christ. And that will mean telling others about Christ. And that will mean encouraging others who know Christ. And that will mean all these things. But life is Christ. He's the life. John 14.6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. There's a clear door here. Before you can go on into full joy, You've got to go through a door. And the door is Jesus Christ. He is the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. We can go no further without examining how do you relate to Christ. Is Christ your life? One, have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you bought in to what He's done for you? Because Scripture is clear that that has to happen. If you already have that relationship with Christ, are you living as if it is your life. Because Christ is life. And the, the, the path to full joy goes right through Jesus Christ, acknowledging Him as life. Ephesians 2.1 And you He made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. We know quite literally that sin it causes us to be dead. You have no life. You are a dead man walking. A dead man walking. Think about the Matrix. I love this example. I've only seen this movie a few times, but if you remember the movie of the Matrix, uh, the whole premise is that people, those of us walking around on Earth, we're, just, we're in some elaborate computer program that, that everything we see, nothing is real. It's just all designed to make us think we're real. In reality, we're actually just about dead, living in tanks, being, having our bodily energy sucked out of us so that some other people, some other forces can harvest that and use that. The whole point is that life on earth is a lie. That really we're just entrapped and enslaved to other forces. Well, strangely enough, this is reality for the world. When we are walking around without the relationship with Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And only when we can realize and deal with Christ and know what Christ has done and receive Him and have that relationship are we truly alive. And I want to bring that to our attention. Don't forget where you've been. Don't forget that you're dead before Christ. And too many times we just, uh, thanks Christ, but now we're going to go our merry way and do our own thing, aren't we? Christ is life. Christ is life. John 10, 10, 11. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, Jesus saying it again, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. There's that joy again. Christ wants to offer you abundant, joyful life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And there's the way again. There's what Jesus did to do it, to provide it. Jesus gave his own life to pay for your sins so that you can have this awesome relationship. Don't pass this up. If you have it, don't, don't take it for granted. I'm talking to myself too. This is the life. This is what life is all about. 
So when we study 1 John, we don't study some external thing that it's nice to glance at. This is what life is all about. Verse 2 says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, What is this phrase, with the Father? First of all, manifested. It's not on the screen. Manifested. What does that word mean? Uh, it just basically means to be made clear. To be made clear. To demonstrate. To, made, to be made visible. So read verse 2 again with that understanding. The life was made clear. We have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was made clear to us. Finally, we can see what life is all about. And there's a key verse here, there's a key part of this verse that we need to look at again. This eternal life, remember we said Jesus is eternal. So the life that He offers is eternal life. What is this life all about? Well, this life is part of a plan that Christ carried out with the Father. With the Father. And again, two sides of this. One, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. God the Father has an intimate relationship with God His Son. And then, of course, God the Holy Spirit is a part of that intimate, intimate relationship. A hard concept, but we see a hint of it here in 1 John that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Holy Spirit. Three different people, but one God, completely united, perfectly uh, joined as one. They always agree. They always work together. They always are in complete unity. Three but one. We see here that's a reminder of that, that Christ is with the Father. But we see something else, that the Father played a huge role in bringing this life to you. Ephesians 1, 3 and 5 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. This eternal life is a part of a plan that has been in the works since e for eternity. God has been planning to give you life for eternity. And He's had you in mind since before He formed the world. Allow this to grab our attention and wow us. Verse 3 has some more key truth here. Key truth. Verse 3 says, "...that which we have seen and heard..." we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That last part of that verse is what I want to focus on. That you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. What is fellowship? Well, we had a fellowship time earlier, didn't we? Fellowship means donuts, coffee, and juice to a lot of people. Because that's all we know it as. But fellowship... And again, my Greek scholars over here will help me, but my understanding of the word fellowship simply means to share in common. To share in common. 
These things we've told you so that you can share in common with each other, so that you can have in common with the Father and that you can share in common with Jesus Christ Himself. Again, this is a huge opportunity. How would you like to to pick a famous world leader and walk around and, and relate to them and be a part of it and to be able to talk it like you have all these things in common? That's the chance we have. That's this fellowship. And that's part of the real joy. That's part of the full joy. We are offered a close bond with each other and with God. Bit by bit, piece by piece, John is opening up and showing us how to have this full joy. And after you have the life, one of the ways to have full joy is to understand the close bond that you have with others, the family. That's why we call it a family because it's this close bond. But the family is also a close, intimate bond with Christ Himself and with God the Father. Huge privilege. Don't miss that. Don't forget it. It's key to full joy. If we want full joy, we have to be appreciating and utilizing the common bond that we have with each other and with obviously with God and His Son. This is, this is something that God is extremely serious about. How do we know that? Because look what Jesus Himself says in John 17 about this fellowship concept, about this unity. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. He's talking about you. He's talking about you who will hear the good news and believe in Christ also. What does he pray for you? He asks that they may all that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are completely united, aren't they? That's how he wants you to be with your brother or sister sitting next to you. That's the kind of bond that he wants. This fellowship is not this little nicey thing that we can do if we feel like it. This is what God wants. He is serious about you taking advantage of this fellowship. And I'm telling you, people are going to let you down, but when we have true fellowship with God, He'll never let us down. And when we can build that as a base and fellowship with each other, you can have joy. You can have support. It's a key part. It's a key part. But look at that last line. Look at that last line. This is huge. He says that they may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. How serious is Christ about this fellowship? Christ says that the world is going to know that Jesus was sent by God. How? What are they going to look at? What are they going to see? They're going to look at your fellowship with your brother or sister sitting next to you. The relationship that you have with other believers is going to show the world that Christ has come from the Father. I want something heavy. That's huge responsibility. But we were talking around the campfire with some new friends of ours about how bad Christians are about getting, to, getting along and about sharing each other in common and sharing Christ in common, I should say. We've got other churches in this city that we're not united with. And I'm not talking that we, that we sit with them every Sunday. I'm talking about a bond, a fellowship, a common goal. We're not getting along with the other believers in our city. We're not having this fellowship 
that God asks us to have. So what's that doing for Dubuque? What message is that sending to Dubuque? That Christ didn't come. Every time you live not showing that bond, you're telling, you're sending the message that Christ didn't come. That's not the message we're to be sending. This fellowship idea is not some floofy, nice, warm, fuzzy thing that if I feel like it, I'll be there. If I feel like it, I'll reach out to the other believers. If I feel like it, I'll share Christ in common. If we're not fellowshipping with one another and with God the way He designed us to, then the world is getting the message that Christ didn't come. And if there's any doubt, no doubt, that that's not the message to be passing on. The message to be passing on is that the Word has been made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory and you can see His glory too, neighbor. But one of the huge ways they're going to see that is how you are in fellowship with each other and how you're in fellowship with God. That hit me hard this week. That hit me hard. To think that the way I relate to other believers in Jesus Christ shows my neighbors who don't know Christ whether the message it says either one, Christ has never come or two, Christ is the real deal and offers joy through salvation. If you want to be, have a heart for evangelism, if you want to have a heart for seeing souls one, then follow Christ with your whole heart and love your brothers and sisters with your whole heart. Because if we don't have that fellowship with one another, the world won't believe that Jesus was sent from God. Huge. It's enough for one verse. Let's move on. Verse 4. Verse 4. Again, I think my favorite verse for a long time. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And we wrap up with this. John 15.11 Christ said it Himself. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Do you think Christ knew that people were going to let him down? Do you think Christ knew that people were going to let you down? Do you think Christ knew that, that uh, pain would come and suffering would come? He knows all of that. But he still says that you can have full joy. You can have full joy. Too many Christians, either out loud or in their hearts, have said, I can't have full joy here on earth. I've got to wait until I die and go to heaven with my you know, eternal life until I can have full joy. Christ says, I came that they may have joy and that you may have full joy. John 16.24 Until now you have asked nothing in my name. But Jesus says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. 1 Peter 1.8 whom having not seen, you love. Talking about Christ. Talking to believers again. You haven't seen Christ, but you still love Him. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Here it is. Joy that we're talking about is apart from circumstances. It's separate from the pain and the grind of the world. It's separate from the stresses and the rejection that you're going to feel by people. And it's a joy that you can have because of Christ and in Christ. And when you have that joy, oh man, that joy can be full. That joy can be full. Do you want this full joy that you can look 
and, and smile at the storm. That you can look and say, man, I've got joy. My house burned down yesterday, but I have joy. I got fired from my job, but I have joy. My best friend just basically told me to take a hike, but I have joy. I want that. And Christ offers that. And 1 John is all about following that and learning that and seeing how our joy can be full. So get excited. Get excited. You've just been introduced to the awesome Christ, the one that can give you full joy. And we're going to learn more and more each week how to follow Him like crazy. And this week, really, seek to follow Him. Trust Him and seek His joy. Maybe for the first time you'll trust Jesus as your Savior. Maybe day by day again, trust Him, follow Him, obey Him. Father, it blows our mind to think that we can have full joy uh, in a world that's full of so much pain and suffering and hurt. You offer unbelievable opportunity here. Lord, I'm afraid that I'm going to miss out on it. I'm afraid that through my stubbornness and and being stuck in my ways and, and my rebellion that I'm going to say with my actions that I don't want it. Lord, don't let us do that. Touch our hearts. Give us a taste, Lord. Help us to see that if we seek You, that if we seek to know Christ and obey Him, that You have fullness of joy offered to us. Lord, it is so exciting to think about who Christ is, the God of the universe, and to think that He wants to know us, and to think that He not only wants to know us, but He wants to give us uh, a beautiful relationship with Him that will allow for fullness of joy. Father, it's exciting. It seems impossible. It's not because You promise it. And so, without saying that we can do anything, we say that we trust You to teach us and give us this full joy. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.